Robots Radio presents... Hey everybody, welcome into the podcast. We are back with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode! We're doing something completely new. Never been done before on the Film and Whiskey podcast, Brad. We are watching a movie that we purposely selected for its badness. The absolute horrific nature of this film is about to be uncovered by the Film and Whiskey podcast. Yeah, we're calling this the Bad Movie Bonus series. We're going to start doing these every once in a while, especially while we're all locked away from the coronavirus. We figured we might as well watch some bad movies, get a kick out of them, and talk about what made them just so terrible. And the first movie that we're going to review is the Christmas Time 2019 release of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Broadway smash cats but bob we're not only going to be reviewing cats as our first ever bad movie bonus episode we're also bringing about another first on the podcast and that will be that we are having our very first listener join us on the podcast for this episode bob how would you like to introduce our guest today absolutely so we actually watched this movie in a watch party with a bunch of our listeners on uh, the app cast and if you follow our social media next time we do this we'll be doing a watch party again but we selected one listener from that watch party to jump on and join us as a guest host and that would be our friend amelia at firewriter on twitter amelia how are you doing today i'm doing pretty good how are you we're doing good. We're doing great now. We get to talk about cats. Am- Amelia was on the uh, the cast chat talking about the background for this musical because she knows so much about it. She was a big fan of the musical growing up. Brad and I have absolutely no background with this musical. It never appealed to me. And to be honest with you, Brad, I'm not the world's biggest Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. Are you? You know, there's a few of his shows that I enjoy, but overall, you know, like Phantom of the Opera is really good. Uh, there's, you know, there's a few others, but overall, I- I'm I'm not extremely well versed in his world in the cat's universe. It, no, not a, not at all. Now, I did know going into the movie that this movie was about cats. Well, that's good. I feel like I feel so, like the poster and the title and the everything about it would have given that away. But hey, you know what, man? I'm just letting you know what background information <laughs> I had. All right. So as we get into talking about this movie, Brad and I are going to be sipping on Blue Note bourbon. This was a bourbon that was sent to us by the distillery, and we'll have a full review of that later on in the episode. But just here on the top, we want to say thank you so much to Blue Note bourbon for sending us this bottle of whiskey. Brad, let's get into it, man. First question I have for both of you, Brad and Amelia, was how much background did you bring into this movie? Like, I know, Amelia, you had a a pretty in-depth knowledge of the musical itself. But like prior to watching the movie, had you heard all the horror stories about how bad it was? Yeah, I had heard all kinds of horror stories. And even when I first heard it announced, I was incredibly skeptical that this would work in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense that they would choose to... Of all the musicals they could have revived or put on screen, like, who was asking for the Cats musical? I can't imagine that anyone was, and I know a lot of musical theater-type people, so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when when I heard that this was coming out, I was kind of like, oh, Cats, like... I've heard of that. I guess they're going to make a musical movie out of it. But the more I heard about it and the more issues that I heard with the CGI and the costuming and and just all sorts of things going into this. And then it's one of those things where you see the trailer for it and you just have to ask. And and this is the question I continue to ask myself while watching it. Who gave this the green light? 
and why? Yeah. Well, maybe I'll be the, the odd man out here and say that having now watched it, I expected this movie to be like epically bad, like the worst film I'd ever seen. And I'm kind of disappointed to say that it was only very bad. Do you know what I mean? Like it was it was a bad movie, but it wasn't the colossal train wreck of a movie that I was really hoping for. And it was kind of a bummer because I thought that I would have even more fun watching how bad this movie was. But it was just kind of like a really bad movie and nothing more than that. I don't know. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, it it does. I, I think the big thing for me with it was that there's nothing in the cinematography or the choreography for the dances or the singing that was like poorly done. Like overall, the movie itself was fine. I think that the source material itself was just very strange. And I don't think it fits the culture of 2020 nearly as well as it might have, you know, the culture of the 1980s and 1990s. But it, it seems like Amelia, you might have a better grasp on the original musical and kind of how it affected the mu- movie. So I'm kind of curious what that would have to do with it. Um, I, I actually agree with you on um, what you're saying about the culture part, because, you know, when I think about how I came to it. Um, so the musical came out in 1981 and I would have been six years old. And so it's kind of been a part of my life for as long as I can really remember because my mom was really into it. And we had the cassette tapes and they were constantly being played. And from the perspective of a kid, you know, who's six or eight or 10, a musical with a lot of goofy songs about cats with weird names is pretty cool. <laughs> but as you kind of get older and things change and the world changes, you know, I think I still appreciate Cats for kind of where it's, what am I trying to say? For its place in my life. And there's a real heavy nostalgia factor mm. to it for me. Yeah. But I can, but I can also kind of, I have a better perspective now, I think on just, just how bizarre it really is and how I don't think, I don't even know if necessarily in the eighties it should have worked as well as it apparently did, but (laughs) yeah. So that's kind of where I come from on that. So the source material, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, the book for that musical was based on a series of poems by T.S. Eliot. Who's, who's known for having some pretty abstract stuff. And I feel like some of these characters' names coming out of, you know, this musical are just absolutely bonkers. Like, I know people name their cats weird things, but the main cats in this movie have names like Bustafer Jones, Old Deuteronomy, and Rum Tum Tugger. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm watching this film and these characters are getting introduced and they just have these nonsense names like Mr. Mistopheles. And I just, I, I'm just sitting here with my hand over my mouth, just completely aghast at the fact that we are asked to buy into a world where like our main gateway into the world of cats is through a character named Mr. Mistopheles. Like it's just from the get go, everything about the concept of this film is just patently ridiculous hey man the the main cat girl's name is victoria that's pretty chill. yeah but i'm pretty sure she that didn't exi- yeah, go ahead go ahead yeah she didn't exist she didn't exist in the musical she was created for the show for the movie i feel like they yeah, I mean, they did things for the movie to try to normalize the wackiness of the stage play like they added another song in and i feel like that song that victoria sings 
is so clearly a different style of songwriting than what you get with the Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff that it's it's just really jarring, I think, to see a character called Victoria when everyone else's name is Rum Tum Tugger or something ridiculous like that. So I want to get into talking about what made this movie so bad, because it, I think we all agree this was a bad movie. But at least for Brad and I, I think a lot of our nitpicks aren't with the creepy CGI, which is creepy, not really with like a lot of the direction. I think the cinematography was fine. I think the choreography of the dances was fine. A lot of it for me is just like the ridiculousness of the script and the songs. And so I want to get into these categories that we've written down and I want to hear your guys's opinion on on the first of all, we're going to go with this worst performance in this movie. What was the worst performance for you guys? Rebel Wilson as Jenny Eddie Dots. Re- that, I was, was, that was a I was mess. about to say Rebel Wilson. Yeah. yeah, Rebel Wilson is just ridiculous in this movie. And now, granted, I'm not a fan of her in almost anything she's in because she's absolutely every single time always played for that like self-aware kind of like, look at how ridiculous the world of this movie is. You know, even in Jojo Rabbit, that's that was kind of her role. And and so I, I look at her, I've never enjoyed her, but her performance in this was just stomach turning. It, it was it was disgusting. She starts eating cockroaches and it, it was very strange. Yeah. So she plays a character named Jenny Annie Dots. And I'm I'm in agreement with you guys. I think her character is just ridiculous um, and, and really grating. And it just bothered me every time she was on screen. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, you know, it's really hard to judge whose performance was the best or the worst because this movie has no character development. This movie has no plot. Like, we didn't do a Brad Explains for this because I don't think we really could. It's literally... Oh, I could definitely do that. Uh, okay, okay. Give us like a like a 30-second Brad Explains on this movie. A bunch of cats introduce themselves and they all want to be murdered to ascend to the heavens, but only one gets chosen. Yeah, that's that's the literally end. it. You find out that there's apparently some special group of cats called the Jellicle Cats. And on a certain Jellicle day, the Jellicle Cats gather together and one of them gets chosen to basically die. And they get to ascend to some higher plane of cat consciousness. I have no idea what's he- going on. He- heavy side. The, the heavy, heavy side. side. That's right. And the whole movie is just characters introducing themselves to us in song. But the crazy thing is like... Not all of these characters even matter. Like there's a there's a a thing at the end where like Judy Dench shows up as like the wise cat that chooses who gets to die, and like all of the the cats who want to die have to audition to get killed. But like not all the characters we met are even considered for death. So it's like we watch all of these songs where cats just show up and say like I'm Rum Tum Tugger and this is what I do. And that's the whole song. And it's just a series of those things. And then the movie ends. That Yeah, that I think that would be my biggest problem with this movie is that there's no narrative plot that actually makes sense to it. Like you can take all the flashiness, you can take all the CGI stuff, you can take all of the star performances, you know, from Jennifer Hudson and Taylor Swift And you can throw that all to the side and just say, if you don't have a cohesive story, then it's not going to make any sense and it's not going to be a good movie. They actually added in more plot than what's in the musical. Um, In the musical, there isn't the whole other second thing with McCavity trying to sabotage the 
ball or whatever. Um, he's just another one of the cats. Um, and there isn't really any spoken script at all to it. Um, so they actually took it a step further to try to give it a plot, <laughs> which didn't make sense to me and ultimately didn't add anything what to the movie. All right. And that takes us to talking about this character of McCavity. This is Idris Elba playing the bad guy, the bad cat. And he is apparently magical. And he's trying to sabotage this jellical ball where the cats are chosen to die because he wants to die. And so he magically transports a, a lot of contenders for death away from the jellical ball so that he's the only one left and he can get chosen to die. And you know what? Honestly, like that probably is the closest that any character in this movie has to like a fully formed arc is that you know that he's bad and that he wants to die and that he's willing to do whatever it takes to, you know, taste that sweet, sweet death. The the interesting thing for me with McCavity is that he he kind of works with these other cats to gain his death. But like, if you look at them, like, why would they help him at all? Like, like, what's in it for them if McCavity ascends to the heavy side? Yeah. Like, why why are they assisting him in, in capturing all of these people? Because there's there's no benefit for them. The those cats are going to be stuck with all the other jellical cats after McCavity ascends, and they're all going to hate them because they captured everybody else. And like I don't know, d- d- you know, this is going to happen a year from now. Everybody's going to get their turn. Like everybody, just chill out. You're going to get to ascend eventually. Yeah, you've got these cats that run around with McCavity like as his goons, and then Taylor Swift shows up for one scene as like his hype man. And comes in as like the PR firm for McCavity and sings a song all about how evil he is. And then she disappears. And it's kind of like, you're right, Brad. Like, what what is the enticement here? What are they getting out of it? Well, and that's I think that's the big thing that Amelia said is that there really wasn't this plot in the original, you know, musical. And so they're trying to force this plot in here. And I, I think you can tell it's not very well thought out. It's not very well written. And there is a part of me that wonders do you just leave it alone? Do you, do you just try to not try to give it a plot? Do you just let it be the weird musical that it is? And does it do better then? I, I don't know, but it, it feels like trying to force this plot in there didn't help very much at all. So because this movie is just a collection of random scenes and just songs that are kind of strung together uh, by people introducing themselves, I have to ask you guys, next category in this terrible movie, what was the worst scene in this movie? What was the part of the movie that made you roll your eyes harder than any other part of the film? I think I still got to stick with Jenny Any Dots. <laughs> Rebel Wilson is two for and two. And it was, yeah, well, just even the way it was laid out and and the, the dancing cockroaches and the shots that were like up and under her butt and... And it was right in the beginning, too. So it was just kind of like it was just like the weirdest mess all at once. And I don't I mean, if I came into it with no knowledge and I was in the theater, I would get up and leave. So apparently there's this there's this whole saga going on right now that is being called the butthole saga, where (laughs) apparently at some point, (laughs) apparently at some point in the production of cats in post-production, when they were CGIing all of this fur and stuff on the cats. They hired some small company to go in and put realistic looking buttholes on the cats. 
And then they reversed course and said, we no longer want the buttholes. And so the buttholes were removed. And there's been this long saga of people trying to track down if there is like a butthole cut of this movie. But in the process of that, someone actually that worked in the VFX department on this movie came out and said that in Rebel Wilson's big scene where she's eating cockroaches and dancing in the sink, there's a shot where like she gets in the sink and she kind of like thrusts towards the camera. And I guess at some point they had decided that they were going to animate her peeing at the camera. And then they decided against that. So if... If, if I can paint a mental picture for everybody in the audience, <laughs> it's bad enough as it is, but we could have had Rebel Wilson literally peeing in our faces, which I feel like she metaphorically is doing already. But like, <laughs> well, I kind of feel like she does that every time she's on screen in any film. Um, but honestly, I, I'm right there with Amelia. That was hands down the worst scene for me. I mean, she's she like looks down and licks her private parts and is like, I, it's terrible. I think the second worst scene for me, I did not like Bustopher Jones at all. And his whole scene when he was dancing around and talking, I it just did not do it for me at all. He just is ridiculous and frustrating for a lot of the similar ways that Rebel Wilson was frustrating. Yeah, I think the thing that really bothered me is that uh, Bustopher Jones is played by James Corden, who is a great singer and a very good performer. The character of Bustopher Jones is kind of just like a less gross version of Rebel w- Wilson's character. Like both of those characters just sing about how they're like fat and lazy and they enjoy being fat and lazy. And so it it kind of felt like, I don't know, we were just repeating ourselves. Well, yeah. And they were the scenes were like almost back to back. Yeah. And so it just felt like you moved straight from Jenny Any Dots into Bustopher Jones, I think. And you're just kind of like, man, what what is going on here? And they, they came very close to losing me. And in fact, if I hadn't been watching it for the podcast, I would have been like, well, I would, I would have never watched it anyways. So. All, right. All right. So <laughs> I got both of you trumped here because the worst scene in this movie is the very last scene in this movie where Judy Dench has selected who gets to die. And the you know recipient of death gets put in a hot air balloon and is floating off to the heavens. And you think the movie's over and you're like, thank God, like I survived it. It's fine. Like, let's just let's walk out of the theater now. And then Judy Dench just looks into the camera with her dumb CGI fur, and she starts singing this song to the audience. And the song is basically like, well, now you understand everything there is to know about cats. And so if you're a good human, you'll treat us with respect. And she sings this like three minute song to the audience, recapping everything we've just seen, which none of it made sense. And she's like, well, now we've explained it to you. And I'm like, you explained what, Judy Dench? Like, none none of this makes sense. And then that's the thing they end on, is Judy Dench with her dumb cat fur telling me that I'm a stupid human and I need to treat cats with respect. I hate it. I hate it so much, Brad. Oh, yeah. And why does she wear other cats fur as a fur coat? Some cats wear clothing and then other cats are just naked. Uh, What's up with those costuming decisions? You know what? Like, I'm okay with cats having clothes, but you're right. It's when the cats are wearing fur jackets that I'm like, is that another cat's skin that you're wearing on top of yourself? (laughs) Super savage. All right, Brad. Well, I think this is a good place for us to hit pause. We're going to try this Blue Note bourbon. I think we need it at this point. And then we'll come back and talk some more about cats. What do you say? Let's get to it.
All right, so today we are checking out Blue Note Bourbon. Now, this is a small batch bourbon that was actually sent to us by the distillery. They're out of Memphis, Tennessee. They advertise their bourbon as being unfiltered. It's 93 proof. It has a nine-year age statement on it, and the bottle that we have is from batch number seven. So, Brad, uh, just initially kind of looking at this, nosing it, what are you picking up on this nine-year bourbon? Honestly, it has a really nice color. Um, it's not incredibly mm-hmm. dark, but it's got kind of a nice uh, quality about it. The nose is really interesting. I feel like I'm getting a, a very floral note on my nose. I don't know if it's like lavender or something, but it's very floral to me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, honestly, I got a lot of ethanol on this when I first poured it. And now that I'm kind of letting it sit and and breathe a little bit, it just has a great kind of classic bourbon smell to it. Um, Very deep, very rich. But yeah, I'm a big fan of this. I think that uh, I'm not really picking up anything in particular on the nose that's standing out in a negative way. Like I said, there was quite a bit of ethanol when I first poured it. But man, this is uh, it has some really great sweet notes. Brad, I am picking up a little bit of that floral that you're talking about. Can't quite place it. But yeah, it it has kind of these big, bold notes and also these really soft kind of delicate notes going on, too. Well, how about we take a sip and see where it takes us? Let's do it. Oh, that's really good. It's really smoky. It reminds me a lot on the nose and then a bit on the taste of Elijah Craig, the the regular uh, 94 proof. And to be honest with you, I think the taste is even more dark, even more smoky, uh, less sweet. It's definitely very spicy. Uh, lots, of, lots of baking spice, lots of black pepper, but it's not offensive. I don't find it to burn too much. I don't find it to leave a really bitter taste in your mouth. I'm really liking how kind of dark and smoky this is. Yeah, I don't know, Bob. I feel like this does burn for a little while going down. And I'm just getting these overwhelming floral notes. There's a little bit of pepperiness. I kind of get about that kind of smoky, oaked nature of it. I'm not super impressed with this. It's like it's good. I can tell that it's been aged a while. I can tell that it's a high quality whiskey, but it's not my favorites of what I've had. So I'm nosing it again after having the first sip because I'm trying to place whatever that sort of earthy floral note is. And it's it's less floral for me than it is almost like um, an anise or like a licorice. I think I'm also getting a little bit of like a uh, oh, what's the what's the root that they make root beer out of sarsaparilla? It almost has a root beer kind of smell to it. And I'm really enjoying that. Brad, it seems like we're just kind of picking up different things on the nose and on the flavor, the taste of this whiskey. Yeah, I think I think earthy tones is the best way to describe it. This is an extremely earthy whiskey. It's it's got a lot of that kind of rootiness going on to it. It's decent. This has a really I, I'm surprised you're not picking up a lot of the smokiness, because especially for me, right after I swallow and I kind of breathe out, I get a lot of the smoke that the sensation is similar to when we were having like a peaty or scotch. Now it doesn't have like a smoke flavor the way a peaty scotch does, but it has that sort of like aftertaste that, uh, I don't know when you exhale, you can just kind of tell that you're, you're breathing smoke a bit. And I really like that. I think it adds a lot to the palate on this. Brad, what are you picking up on the finish here? The finish is actually really nice. I feel like I'm getting a few of the sweeter notes, um, that I missed at the start. Um, But it does, it kind of lingers for a little bit. It leaves a nice note on your palate. I'm actually kind of enjoying that finish. 
Yeah, and overall, I think this is a pretty well-balanced whiskey. I think, for me, the nose was probably the most unexceptional part of it. It just didn't really give me a lot up front. And I think after tasting it and having to go back and try it again, that's when I really started to pick up on some of the more subtle notes, some of that kind of root beer, you know, sarsaparilla, whatever it is you want to call it, um, darker, sweet, molasses kind of notes. But I think overall, it's a fairly well-balanced whiskey. I'm actually really impressed with this for being such a small batch whiskey um, from coming from a company that I, you know, I've only really been aware of for the last couple months. They're doing kind of a small batch, smaller production scale. And I think this really stands up against some other whiskeys that would be aged about the same. Yeah, I honestly, if I had to give this a score out of 50, like our, our normal scores, I'd probably end up around a 30, like a 28 to a 32 range. It, mm. It's not my favorite, but I can tell that it's high quality and it is something I I wouldn't mind sipping on from time to time. Yeah, Brad, I think I'd probably be somewhere in that 35-ish range. This really is in some ways reminiscent of scotch to me. It's like a bourbon palette, a bourbon flavor with the kind of scotch undertones to it. And I really like that. I think this is a bourbon that I'm going to pull off the shelf for a different reason than like a Weller Antique, which has those kind of more subtle wheat notes to it. This one definitely has that sort of characteristic campfire kind of feel to it. Well, speaking of campfires, how about we return to the trash fire of a movie that Cats was? I was going to say, you're thinking of dumpster fire. Ah, yes, dumpster <laughs> yeah, fire. That's, that's it. Yeah. Let's keep talking about Cats, Brad. Let's get to it. All right, so that was Blue Note Bourbon. Thank you again for sending us these sample bottles. I'm going to really continue to enjoy mine. But what do you say we get back into talking about a movie that neither of us, actually none of the three of us, I assume, enjoyed at all? And that is this 2019 masterpiece, Cats. Yeah, I was going to say, B Blue Note, I do apologize. I, I know that no company in the world probably wants their brand put next to Cats, but you know what? Your stuff is great. The movie isn't. We still love you. You know, we we can get a get ahead with it. See, I feel like Brad, if we owned a distillery, I would want our product featured on an episode like this because it's like we're having fun, we're crapping on a bad movie, and we're we're drinking whiskey while we do it. Like that that's the dream right there. Yeah. Yeah, and if anything, a lot of times people flock to the negative stuff. So, hey, free advertising. <laughs> that's right. So in the spirit of not being so negative, I think maybe our final points of the day should be to say one thing we liked about the movie, whether it was a certain performer, a certain song, what is something that you think this movie did well? Well, honestly, I really loved Ian McKellen in this movie. You know, I, I going into it, I didn't know that he was in it. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, no, not Gandalf. <laughs> like, of all the people... <laughs> You could ruin with this movie. Please don't ruin Ian McKellen. Right. But then he got on stage and he started singing and he freaking kicked butt. I mean, his performance was spectacular. He was absolutely captivating. And so I, I was really blown away with his performance and could find nothing to fault with it. Yeah, Brett, I totally agree. Ian McKellen was fantastic in this movie. He had one song. He showed up and, and I think his name is Gus. Is it Gus? Gus the Theater Cat. Gus the Theater Cat. And he basically sings this sad song about how his life hasn't really panned out to be the way it was, and he misses all of his friends that are dead or something like that. And 
You don't know anything about this cat's backstory, just like you don't with anybody else. And yet, Ian McKellen made me feel like emotional for this cat. It was really, really weird. I was super impressed with how little screen time he had and the fact that he just completely sold it. And I think like his performance is like the anti Jennifer Hudson, right? Jennifer Hudson takes this character, the one that sings Memory, the big number in the show, and it's like, you purposely take that character so that you can have the show-stopping, scene-stealing moment of the movie. And yet for me, like Jennifer Hudson didn't do it at all. And Ian McKellen stole the whole thing. I completely agree with the point on Ian McKellen. Um, I, th- I think one of the things that's so baffling about this movie is how they got all these big names to be in it. I, I can't I just can't imagine how they signed on. And he's really the only one who took what he had and and made it into something pretty awesome. And it's I mean, even Judy Dench couldn't do it. I mean, her, her performance was ridiculous. But I think the other one that's worth shouting out is um, and I don't know her name, unfortunately, but the actress who played Victoria. I think that this was intended to be kind of a vehicle for her. And it's really unfortunate that it's going to kind of go down as, as her first performance. But I think that with what she did a really good job with what she had and her dancing was amazing. But I think those were the two that jumped out as, what am I trying to say? I don't know, being good. <laughs> All I can say it's, it's hard. semi-decent. It's hard to find those words because we've used them so little on this podcast oh, so far. Yeah. 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 No, I, I completely agree. And you know what? If I'm being honest, I thought that the song that Taylor Swift sang introducing McCavity, I thought that was a pretty well-written song. I thought that the new song that they made, which is called like, uh, what's it called? Like Dancing with Ghosts or something. I actually thought that was a really well-written song, and I found that to be a really kind of touching moment because I felt like the musical finally stopped to take a breath, and I was getting to know these characters a little bit more. So it's not like every single decision in this movie was a poor decision, and I think that's what's bringing me to a weird spot on this movie, Brad, is that I wanted to give this movie, like going in, I was so ready to have a train wreck of a movie hit me with full force and give it a one out of 10 and tell everybody about how it was this life-changingly bad film. And it's really bad, but it's not that bad. And so, you know, it's not like when you watch The Room or a movie that's made by like amateurs, that's really bad. This is a professionally done film. There are things in it that are done very well. Yes, the CGI is really creepy, but then you also have things like some of the cinematography being really beautiful. And, and the choreography being beautiful. Some of the performances are really good. So I'm anxious to hear from both of you. If you had to give this movie a score out of 10, what would you give it? And would you recommend? Uh, hmm, that is really, really tricky. Um, I think I don't go seeking bad movies. It's not something that I'm fond of or enjoy or anything like that. Um, and if I didn't have the connection to the movie, to the musical, I should say, um, I probably would never have touched this with a 10 foot pole. Um, <laughs> but I think I want to give it about a three. And would you recommend? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I would. Not. Yeah. Yeah, Amelia, I'm actually like right there with you. I was thinking anywhere from a two to a three out of 10. Like there's some stuff that, like you said, Bob, it's actually pretty well done. Um, There's certain songs that I really enjoyed. Uh, I I actually really liked Victoria's performance, like you pointed out, Amelia. 
But overall, man, this this is a rough movie and it and it struggles because it has no real plot and it it takes itself too seriously. I feel like if it if it let the audience know like wink wink, we know that we're being ridiculous, it might have come across a little bit better. And honestly, I think if they had chosen to go with real costumes instead of the CGI, it it may have been a better film overall. Now, would it have gotten past a 5 or a 6 out of 10? Probably not. But, you know, it would have been decent. It might not have gotten trashed the way it has. Yeah, I think that's the the biggest problem with this movie, Brad, is that I think the ceiling for this movie, like the best case scenario, if you do this movie as well as it can be done, is like a 5 out of 10. It's just... And and I'm a guy that likes musical theater. I really, really enjoy it. I'm not a huge Andrew Lloyd Webber fan, but even among his musicals, this is just a dumb musical. There, there's no point to it. It's just celebrating. It was perfect for the 80s because it's just nothing but excess. That's all it is. And I think what I really appreciated about the movie was that it moved pretty quickly it's only like without credits, an hour and forty-ish minutes. I was really surprised, actually, at how quickly it went. But you're right. I think both of you are absolutely on the money with your scores. I'm going to give it a three out of ten. It's really bad, but I can't recommend it. Obviously, as a good movie, but I don't even think I'd recommend it as a bad movie. It's not like a bad enough movie that you're like enjoying how bad it is all the way through. I think it was more just like, wow, this is a misfire, and it's kind of boring. And I don't think I ever want to watch it again. I don't know if I would throw this on at a party to make everybody laugh at how bad it was. If you want a movie that you could throw on at a party and laugh at how bad it is, check out Velocipaster. <laughs> the Velocipaster. We need to do that one, Brad. I guarantee you it will bring the house down. It might be one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Well, that about does it for this episode. We want to say thank you so much to Amelia at Firewriter for joining us today. I hope you had a good first experience on the podcast, Amelia. Oh, that was a lot of fun. We will be back in a couple weeks with another one of these bad movie bonus episodes. If you'd like to write into us on social media and suggest a movie for everybody to watch in the next cast party, please do. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Whiskey. It's a, it's a cast party, like like when you do a musical in high school and then you have the cast party afterwards. That, do, you, do you get it? Yeah. Yeah, we get it, Brad. Uh, good, good job, Bob. <laughs> or you can give us a phone call if you want your voice to be heard about the movie Cats. Call us at 216-800-5923. Once again, our phone number is 216-800-5923. We so appreciate you guys listening. We hope everybody out there uh, is taking it easy and staying safe. Please continue to stay safe, stay inside, and we'll see you next week for a regularly scheduled episode of Film & Whiskey. For the Film & Whiskey podcast, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.